Please open your Bibles to the 10th division of the Psalms. Psalm 10. I really want to explore one verse with you this afternoon, but let's read the let's read the psalm together. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but stand in your heart. Why standest thou afar off, O Jehovah? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom Jehovah abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Jehovah. O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked condemn God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. Jehovah is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Jehovah, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. This is a psalm about the wicked contrasted with the humble poor. The humble poor in the psalm are God's people and the wicked are their oppressors. But look back to verse 4, which will be our focus of the afternoon. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. And then hear this phrase, God is not in all his thoughts. Psalm 10, 4. God is not in all his thoughts thoughts. The New International Version translates it like this. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. The English Standard Version's rendition is, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. 
What we see in the psalmist's description of the thought pattern of the wicked man, listen, what we see in the psalmist's description of the thought pattern of the wicked man, the wicked woman, is this. God is absent. He's not there. God is not in all the thoughts of the wicked. So listen, either the wicked man or woman doesn't think about God, or if the wicked man or woman does think about God, they don't believe that he exists. So rather than thinking on him, they think there is no God. Well, listen, based upon this thought or this lack of thought, David, the king, a prophet and the sweet singer of Israel offers his diagnosis. And he writes, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So saints, listen, make no mistake. The viewpoint of Holy Scripture, the viewpoint of the Bible, is that atheism is folly. It is idiocy. It is absurdity. It is ludicrous. It is foolishness. In the first chapter of his epistles to the Romans, the great apostle Paul indicts the whole world before God, asserting that creation, the existence of the world, the existence of humanity is such a powerful testament to the existence of God that all who see creation and fail to recognize the Creator are without excuse. In other words, St. Paul heartily agrees with St. David. Atheists are fools. That's the teaching of Holy Scripture. And for our young ones here who have thought less than we older ones, let me connect the dots for you. And listen, I'm not saying that you don't think. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that because you're young, you had less time to think than some of us older ones. And so let's be very explicit and connect the dots here. <clears throat> the apostolic teaching is this. If you can see the creation... Any blind people here today? Okay, so I'm speaking to all of you. If you can see the creation, the wonder of it, the beauty of it, if you can consider something like the starry heavens above, the crashing waves upon the shore, the thunder and the lightning and the rain and the snow and the lions and the tigers and the bears and the little kitty cats... And all the splendor of earth, if you can see all that, if you can consider the growth of a tiny acorn into a mighty oak, or the growth of a sperma and an ovum into a little gladius, if you can see all those things and not perceive 
just by seeing them, that a Creator made them, then my friend, you are a fool. That is the apostolic teaching. So, uh, based on that, I assert we live in a land full of fools. The teaching of Holy Scripture is that atheism is foolishness. And that a failure, listen, a failure to think about God, the creator of everything, leaves a person without excuse, indicted before the Holy Creator who owns them, whether they think about Him or not. This is the state of the wicked woman. This is the state of the wicked man who fails to think about God. This is the state of the one about whom the psalmist writes, God is not in all his thoughts. So, to any here, listen to me, to any here who have not bowed the heart and the knee to Jesus of Nazareth, the King of all creation, I urge you to think about God. I implore you to consider even to consider yourself, your mind, the brute fact of your consciousness, your existence, and consider that the God who made you cares about you. And He is here, and He is not silent, and He has spoken, and think, and consider, and muse, and ponder. For you will have to deal with him. But what about the Christian? What about the believer in God who fails to think upon God? Well, let me assure you, this can happen. The people of God can fail to think upon God, and the consequences of that are serious. When God sent the prophet Isaiah to testify against his people, I read in Isaiah chapter 1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for Jehovah has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know, and my people do not consider. The Hebrew term translated consider is bene, and it means to separate mentally, to think upon, to discern, to understand, to consider. In the verses that follow, the prophet goes on to outline the case that God has against his people. But it begins, the case begins with their failure to consider, their failure to think upon their God. Their thoughtlessness regarding their God leads to all manner of folly and disobedience. And God is not pleased with their failure to consider Him. 
And, and beloved, listen, the wicked, even the wicked, even the wicked who consider God are blessed to some degree. Remember this? In the time of the Exodus, God rained hail down upon the land of Egypt at the word of Moses. And the scripture says, He that feared the word of Jehovah among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle to flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of Jehovah left his servants and cattle in the field. Exodus 9, verses 20 and 21. Listen, even the wicked Egyptians, when they considered God, were blessed. <laughs> Those servants and cattle that were brought in, they survived. But what about the ones that were left outside? There is what I believe to be an error about today that plagues the many of the people of God. And the error is this. Listen. When they, that is Christian people, they see a professing Christian sin, a grievous sin, so this is Christians, see another Christian sin, a grievous sin, they'll say something like, well, now we know she's not a Christian. That just proves it. He's not a real believer, or he wouldn't do that. Now, I said I believe this is an error and a problem that plagues Christianity today. And I believe it's an error because of the apostolic pattern. If you read the New Covenant Scriptures and you see what St. Paul had to deal with, he didn't write off converts when they sinned. Listen, please. He did not write them off when they sinned. That's not what Paul did. He exhorted them to confess their sin and to forsake it. He exhorted them, don't do that anymore. Get up, dust yourself off, and do better, and move on. When he notes, listen, Paul notes, it's common knowledge that there was fornication going on in the church at Corinth. Not, maybe. It's common knowledge. Everybody knows. Even common knowledge that one church member was in an incestuous relationship with his father's wife. This is 1 Corinthians 5. He doesn't wholesale just write them off. He urges the church to deal with it by discipline and by exhortation. And, and listen, by the time we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we see that it, the church obeyed Paul's exhortation and exercised church discipline on this man. By the time we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we see that the incestuous man has repented. And Paul exhorts the church to forgive him and comfort him lest, quote, he be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. 2 Corinthians 2.6. Paul's like, yeah, I wanted him to be sad, but he's sad enough. Come on. Comfort him. Comfort him. And, and let's get him back on the path and let's move on. He didn't just say, well, obviously he's not a Christian. Are you with me? 
You see, the church exercised discipline in the hope that the church member really was a believer. And their discipline would prove that. And listen, don't you see this, friend? Families spank their own children. Are, are you, you understand what I'm saying? I don't go spank somebody else's children to train them, to discipline them. I spank my own. You know why? Because they're mine. Because they're mine. And about all that fornication, well, Paul doesn't say, well, that just shows that they're a bunch of unbelievers. That's not what he does. What he does is he preaches to them about it. (laughs) This has got to be uncomfortable. He preaches to them about it by his letter, and he exhorts them, stop it! And you, friend, you can go read it. The last half of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is a screed against fornication. So Paul goes and preaches to him about it. Clean this mess up. Stop this. He reminds them that their bodies are holy temples that should be kept pure. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, he teaches them about Christian marriage. And he teaches them that one of the reasons that a woman is to have a husband and a man is to have a wife is to avoid fornication. So, so listen, saints. <laughs> I believe that, that that's an error to say, oh, well, that just shows they're not Christians. Maybe. Maybe. But that's not where we should go first. But let me tell you why I brought this error up. Because the problem was, listen, the problem was Christian people weren't thinking properly about God. Christian people weren't thinking properly about God. They weren't thinking properly about themselves. And so they were falling into foolishness and sin. And the Pauline remedy was not to say, well, I guess they're not Christians. The Pauline remedy was church discipline. And the Pauline remedy was church exhortation. Tell them to stop and teach them better. You see, listen, and I know that you know this, but listen, saints, sin always begins in the mind. Evil thoughts always precede evil actions. And the wise apostle understands that dealing with overt and external sin must sometimes be done. But oh, oh, how much better to root out wicked thinking before it can grow and yield its evil fruit. And here's a little sermon within the sermon. In your life, how much better to root out a wrong thought before it can lead to a wrong action. And it will. It will. Jesus taught His disciples, that which cometh out of the man that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. 
Mark 7, 20 through 23. And those are red letters. Now, I know that you know this, but I'll remind you. In modernity, we understand the heart as that organ that pumps the blood that circulates through our bodies. Speaking of the wicked, why Solomon says, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. The ancients understood the heart as the seat of the affections. Emotion, will, intellect, what we today would call the mind. So when Jesus teaches that all these wicked things come out of the human heart, we understand that he's teaching that these evil things that defile men and women, they come from their minds. They come from their minds. Now, brothers and sisters, listen. Do you remember that beautiful Greek term that's most often translated repent? Metaneo. Metaneo. I think I've spoken to you about this before. It comes from a couple of Greek terms. Meta, here meaning change. And neo, thinking. Change, thinking. Metanoia. So metanoia means I change my mind. I change my mind. When a person repents and believes the good news, believes the gospel, she changes her mind. He changes his thinking. Most specifically, he changes his thinking about Jesus of Nazareth. When we call on a person to repent and believe the gospel, what are we, what are we asking them to do? We're saying, change your mind. Change your mind and believe the good news about Jesus. We've talked before about how changing our minds about Jesus is just the beginning of the Christian life, which involves becoming so connected to Jesus that we learn to think like He thinks. And, and He is God. So we become godly, God-like, Jesus-like conformed to the image of His dear Son. So, so listen, what have we said? The wicked, the unsaved, the lost, God doesn't even enter into their thoughts. Or their thoughts, if He does enter in, is there's no God. There's no God. So, to the unconverted... If you can, we urge you to think about God. He's the most important consideration you could possibly undertake. And the question, what think ye of Christ? Well, that's the most important question any woman or any man could contemplate. What do you think about Jesus? And for, for those of us who are converted, we've noted that repentance unto salvation involves a changing of the mind. A mental paradigm shift. But listen, but listen, the, that mind change is not total and comprehensive, is it? 
It must be continued and maintained lest we, like the people of God in Isaiah's day, fail to consider and foolishly and wickedly fall into sin. We have the mind of Christ. But not only. We've got divided minds. Sometimes we're sort of schizophrenic. Not only are our minds to be changed in repentance when we change our minds about Jesus, but the overarching trajectory of our patterns of thought are to be changed. Listen, so that our minds become organs or instruments of love. You remember when that lawyer came to the Savior with the question, which is the greatest commandment? Well, the, from the Master, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, forever prioritized love. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40. Oh, oh, Lord Jesus, with what shall we love our God? With the heart, cardia. With the soul, suke. With the mind, deona. Through the mind, through our thinking. Bill, it's hard for me to believe that I've been married to Jeannie almost 38 years. Because to me, it seems like only days ago that we were walking down an aisle of the church, or that she was, to take my hand in Christian marriage. But it has been almost 38 years. And I've learned a few things, just a few. And, and one thing I've learned is that little things make a difference. Little things make a difference. A phone call or a text message that lets my bride know I'm thinking about her. Well, it's a little thing. But, but listen, it's a big little thing. You see, friend, listen, listen. We think about what we love. Are you listening? We think about what we love. If we think about it too much, well, there, there are psychological terms for that, like obsession and fixation. But listen, all people think about what they love. They do. And when I let my wife know that I'm thinking about her, it's an affirmation of love. Isn't it? Hey, baby, I was thinking about you. It's an affirmation of love. And when I get a little message from her, and I know she's thinking about me, it, it does me good. Because we think about what we love. And listen, I'm glad that every one of you is here today. I am. 
And some of you are here because you're thirsty for the fellowship of the saints. I'm glad about that. And some of you are here because you don't want to violate the apostolic command, forsake not this assembling of yourselves together. And I'm glad for that. I'm sure our motivations are mixed. But listen, some of you are here just because you wanted to think about Jesus. And you knew, you knew before you came, they're going to be talking about Jesus up there. Didn't you? Some of you said, I want to go there because they're going to be talking about Jesus. And friend, if you've understood that the Christian life begins with a change of mind and continues as our minds change more and more, if you've understood that, then you can begin to understand the importance of the discipline of regular church attendance and consistent Bible study. Now, in this church, historically, we've, we've asserted the supremacy of church over family. For the biological bonds that bind us are temporal. But the spiritual bonds that bind us are eternal. This, friend, this, the church, it's the home of the saints. It's the home of the saints. The church is eternal. And the church exists on earth now. As our, as our friends down the road there rightly note, the church exists now on earth as the embassy of heaven. It's the home of the saints. And listen, what do we do here? We talk about Jesus here. Listen, if you go to a church and that's, he's not mostly what they're talking about, you, you should get out of there. That's what we do here. We talk about Jesus. So if you're looking for a practical way, listen, if you're looking for a practical way to think about, about Jesus, about God, here's one. Come to church. Come to church. It's what we do here. We think about God together. Another practical way to think about God is to read the Bible. Now, you probably know that some of the Eastern mystical religions, they have meditational practices that involve emptying the mind. Sometimes a mantra, a meaningless word is spoken over and over and over. It's said over and over and over again in the mind to drive away thoughts and to try to sort of shift the mind into neutral. Well, Christianity is an Eastern religion, isn't it? It came to us from the East. Those wise men saw the natal star in the East. And Christianity has always prioritized meditation. But Christian meditation is very different from those meditations that seek to empty the mind. Christian meditation, rather than emptying involves filling the mind. Filling the mind with good things. Thoughts of love. Holy longings. Holy Scripture. Christian meditation is different. 
writing to the Philippian saints, the great apostle Paul teaches, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Philippians 4.8 So if there are honest, just, pure, lovely, virtuous, praiseworthy things, those are what Christians should meditate on. Listen, interestingly, Christians have disagreed historically on a lot of things. (laughs) But Christians historically are fairly unified in understanding that the Holy Bible, this book, is honest, pure, lovely, virtuous, and praiseworthy. And so, historically, Christians have been fairly united in recommending Holy Scripture as the focus for Christian meditation. I could recommend a few devotional books that you could use to enhance your meditation. But my primary recommendation would be just one. Because it's the best. So, if you only have limited time, spend it in that book. So if you're looking for a practical way to think about God, practice Christian meditation. Reading considering, thinking about what the Bible says, often in a devotional way. Brother Eric's talked to us often over the last couple of years about different ways to approach Scripture. Theologically, studiously, yes, devotionally, definitely. I'm not your priest, Or I'm not anybody who desires to set up a system or some sort of a legalistic guideline for you, and I won't. Um, We've been asked to do that before. But if your desire is to love God with your mind, then listen, you must think upon Him. And I would advise that you commit yourself to meditation in the Holy Scripture and that you hold yourself accountable. Listen, if you've ever been successful in, successful in academic endeavors, you know that you've had to commit yourself to studying, haven't you? You've had to, you had to do it, usually at a set time. And if you've ever committed yourself to studying the Bible, or if you've never done that, you should. Studying the Bible will teach you how to be pleasing to God. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul speaks of capturing thoughts. You remember that? He speaks of thoughts like it's a renegade thought that's escaping. Capture it. And then forcing it to obey the king. He writes, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought 
to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. And if you follow his metaphor, we can say that intentional meditation in Holy Scripture is a tactic in which we take our thoughts, our personal thoughts, which sometimes can be hostile to God in His cause, and by meditating in Holy Scripture, we subject our thoughts to God's thoughts. And our thoughts can actually change. And they do. And they will. Bill says often when we read Holy Scripture, we think God's thoughts after Him. That's true. I'm just saying we do it militantly and violently. Listen, (laughs) dear ones, I don't want to scare you, but this business of thinking on God, it's important. It is very important. Writing to beloved first century saints, the apostolic writers to the writer to the Hebrews offers a chilling warning. And he says in chapter 3, verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. The English Standard Version renders it like this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And, And do you see who he's writing to? The brethren, the brothers, and he warns them against an evil heart, an evil mind, an unbelieving mind. An evil mind thinks evil thoughts. And the apostolic methodology is be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. So listen, any saint here, listen, if your thoughts are tending to evil and it's bothering you, the apostolic formula is overcome evil with good. Increase your intake of good. Eat more. We saw in our psalm that the Bible says of the wicked, God is not in all his thoughts. But but listen, friend, the righteous are not so. David said, I remember thee upon my bed. I meditate on thee in the night watches. Thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Psalm 63, 6-8. He said, How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Psalm 139, 17 and 18. What was he doing? He was thinking on his God. And he said, Thy word... Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee? Blessed art thou, O Jehovah. Teach me thy statutes. Psalm 119, 11 and 12. So here's an exhortation for this week, saints. 
let's intentionally engage in some mind control. Control our own minds. Let's intentionally focus our minds upon God. Let's think about Jesus. He's not in all the wicked thoughts. Oh, Lord Jesus, fill our minds. Be the Lord of our thoughts. Let us, help us think on you. Brother? Thinking about the, the, like Psalm 19, talking about how the heavens declare the glory of God and day to day pours out speech. It, it kind of goes along with what Paul was saying. Like, There's no excuse. It's been speaking every day. It's never stopped. But, like, if you've ever gone on vacation somewhere that's really, really beautiful, and you're just in awe the entire time you're there, but some people live in those places. And if you've ever lived in a really beautiful place, you stop noticing it because it's just normal. Like, the wicked, I think, just don't notice that God did it. But among us, we notice. But it's not always as fresh as you know. Yeah. So are you saying we should... Take for granted a little bit. You know, open your eyes, look around, look at what he's doing. Are you saying we should live in the flatlands? (laughs) So that we we can go to the mountaintop? Yeah, it's... I mean, you know, if we could could somehow dwell in the place of how beautiful and how lovely and kind and gracious God is and just see that and dwell in it, why would we ever want to leave? Yeah. It's like those vacations and you don't want to come back because you know it so much. Yeah. Well, let's be intentional. Use intentionality. I said mind control. I wasn't joking. I was, let's intentionally, systematically remind ourselves who we are, what we believe, and who our God is. Brother Mick, would you dismiss us, please? Father, we uh, thank you for this time this afternoon to look into your word brought to us that uh, we hear your words that we apply them to our lives that that, uh, your son our Lord and Savior is always within our minds and that we're sharing his word with everybody we encounter that we encourage one another most importantly that we love you Father with all our hearts all our minds with every fiber of our being and love our neighbors we ask all this in Jesus name Amen. Amen.